0: Well, it's good to see you today. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here on Epic Sunday. They'll explain more about Epic Sunday at the end of the service. But uh, after the 11 11 o'clock service, starting at 12, we have a big picnic out here. Uh, All sorts of stuff going on. We're going to have baptism, child dedication. So if you stay, stay. If you go home to change clothes, come back. We'll start serving about 12. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. Please join us for Epic Sunday. You will have an enjoyable time. It's really a pretty cool event. Uh, Last month, at the age of 90, the right reverend John Shelby Spong passed away. He was a longtime priest and bishop in the state of New Jersey for the Episcopalian Church. And uh, Spong was an advocate and leader, and he was a self-proclaimed believer in what we would call liberal Christian theology. And at the heart of the many of the books that Spong wrote, the journals he wrote, articles, sermons, was the idea that Christianity needed to change in order to survive, that Christianity needed to remove from its basis of teaching the idea of a Jesus who atoned for our sins. The idea of the atonement, if you don't know what that is, is that Jesus died... And took our sins on him. And taking our sins on him provided forgiveness through faith in him as the resurrected Lord. He said that needs to be done away with completely. One of the most famous, inspirational, beloved, and rightly so, and successful women in American history is Oprah Winfrey. Uh, Oprah Winfrey grew up in the evangelical world. She considers herself a Christian. Uh, At the age of three, she was already quoting scripture. People thought she might end up being a little preacher. Uh, in 2008, this very influential woman in a televised panel discussion talking about Christianity, said that Jesus can't be the only way to God, that God cares more about what is in your heart than if you call his son Jesus. One of the most successful coaches in any sport, certainly in basketball, is Phil Jackson. Won 11 championships as a coach, two more as a player, grew up, In Montana, in Assembly of God household had a mama and daddy both were preachers. His daddy would preach in the morning at church. His mama would preach at night. He thought he would grow up to be a preacher. Jackson has described himself as a Zen Christian mixing Buddhism and Christianity. Now, I mentioned these people. Not to pick on them, they're all nice, successful people who you would probably uh, enjoy being with. Spawn, before he passed away, was one of the nicest, most loving, considerate pastors you could probably find. They all come from the mainstream of American Christian life. Yet all of them and their beliefs have deviated from what we would think is the traditional understanding of Jesus. Which just goes to kind of illustrate and help us to see what's at the heart Of what we're looking at all through the month of October. Our quest to understand, especially in the culture we live in, who is the authentic Jesus? That's our series all this month. I began three weeks ago. And Jesus taking a man who was paralyzed and pronouncing that his sins were forgiven and then healing him, having done that. And the Pharisees asked the question, which was the title of the message, who is this? Who is this guy? Who does Jesus think he is, that he can forgive sins. Two weeks ago in the Gospel of Luke, as we came to the very beginning of it, Luke, who is recognized now as a, a top-rated, not a well-respected historian from the first century, his books, Luke and Acts, are regarded as documents that can be trusted in the authenticity and accuracy of what they write, Luke began his journey, telling us the process that he went through. Because many people will say that Luke, along with Matthew, Mark, and John, the Gospels are just one of many, that there are many different accounts of Jesus, what makes them special. Luke shares that with us. Last week, we came to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, a recognized historical figure who wrote a book that everybody recognizes, is from his hand writes about the resurrection of Jesus in a time and an age is so important to us because people talk about the resurrection as being the myth that the church made up. Paul demonstrates, and we saw that the resurrection was preached from the very, very beginning. All of this is about the authentic Jesus. And today, we come to what in this five-sermon series may be the most important. It's the most important because you're here today, and that's what makes it important. It's about the designer Jesus, the Jesus that we create in our own imagination. We'll be in a few moments in the book of Galatians, but I want to begin by asking a question that I've heard in one shape, form, or fashion many times over my 41 years of ministry. It's simply this. It's 2021. Does it really matter what people believe about Jesus? Does it matter? Does it matter what people believe? about Jesus. I want us to begin by saying that there was a time when Christianity was at a crossroads. Christianity at a crossroads is where you find Paul. Now, Christianity is always at a crossroads. Understand, every generation finds Christianity at a crossroads. And we're going to go back to about 48 AD, give or take. The church that was at Antioch, had been influenced and been shaped and discipled by Barnabas and Paul. And this church, which would become a very influential church, this church had a heart and a passion to see others come to Christ. It was composed primarily of Gentiles, people who had once been pagans, but now had come to faith. And they wanted to see other pagans throughout the world come to Jesus. And so they sent Paul and they sent Barnabas on this journey. We call it the first of Paul's evangelistic journeys. And they went into the area of Asia Minor, what today we would call Turkey, and they began always in a synagogue. But it didn't last long. The synagogues would not keep them or let them preach their message. So they went out to the streets where the Gentiles were. And Gentiles came flooding to Jesus. And they had such a brief time with them. They taught them the basics, and then they warned them. They said, after we leave, other people will come, and they're going to try to teach you something else. Don't listen to them. Understand what we have taught you. And shortly after their journey was through, when they got back to Antioch, Sure enough, a group of men who described themselves as Christians who came from a Jewish background, probably came from the area of Jerusalem, Judea, went after Paul and Barnabas, and they began to go into these small, young, struggling churches, and they began to preach that in addition to Jesus, you needed something else. Jesus wasn't enough. We call these men Judaizers because they brought the Jewish system into Christianity. They had abandoned, as the Jews had by the first century, the tenets of the true faith of the Old Testament. That still, it was a God of grace and a God you came to by faith and a God who loved and had mercy. And they created this religious system. It's what Jesus came and he destroyed. And they took this system and they said, Jesus is just the beginning. You've got to add Moses. You've got to add our laws. And in the course of doing that, they said, you must be circumcised. And circumcision would be the mark, not only that you were Jewish, but that you could be a Christian now. And this happened, and Paul reacted quickly. Paul and Barnabas made a trip down to Jerusalem. They were going to settle this once and for all. It's found in Acts 15. They got Peter there, and they and Peter began to talk, and they realized they've got to get this straightened out. And they went to James, the brother of Jesus, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and they laid their case out before him that you cannot ask, you cannot ask, Gentiles to become Jewish. It would destroy Christianity. It would destroy the movement. That Christianity had broken away from that system. And James agreed And in Acts fifteen nineteen, James says, it is my opinion now. That we got to stop making it difficult for Gentiles to come to faith. They went back but before, to Antioch. Having known and secured that from now on there would be no necessity. It was made it clear. No one would add works to the grace of Christ. But before they had even went to Jerusalem. Paul wrote a letter. Probably the first letter he wrote It's the letter to the churches at Galatia. We call it Galatians. And in that letter, you see some of the firmest, toughest things you'll ever see in the New Testament. Chapter 1, verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He said, I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. Today we might be saying, are you kidding me? Or you really have done this? You have quickly deserted him who called you. The word for deserting means basically to change teams. It's the idea of changing philosophies, changing your way of think, thinking. In times of war, it was to change and desert your side to go to the enemy. It would mean turncoat. Uh, we would think of Benedict Arnold in our history. Someone who has deserted. Quickly they have done it. Quickly could mean, so quickly after I have been there, I was just there a few months ago, and you've already deserted. Could mean quickly after these Judaizers came, you believe so easily. It probably means both. It's probably something like, we just left. These guys came, and already you're believing. You have deserted him. Who is him? God. You've deserted God. You're not deserting us. You're deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. The system that was Judaism was a system of works. You had to do certain things. It was about self-righteousness. They took that system the Judaizers did and they placed it on top of grace. The grace is God freely acting. God requiring nothing. There's nothing you can do. Salvation is totally by the love and mercy and grace of God. You find it in Christ. He says you've deserted him and you've gone to a different gospel, which is really not different or another. In the Greek, there's two words that are used for different or another, and most of your versions make that distinction. Some don't. You've left the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's, it's the concept of what we use the term evangelism, you know, the good news, to share the good news of Christ. It's about Jesus. Last week we saw it had to do with his died. He died for us in our place on our behalf. He was buried. He was raised back to life on the third day, and people saw him. We put our faith in him. You've deserted that for something different that's not another. The difference between different and another is kind of like this. It's kind of a crude illustration, but I'll use it. If I go to a restaurant and the waitstaff says, what would you like to drink? I will say, I want an unsweet tea, extra ice. I want extra ice. I don't put enough ice. I'm from Texas, man. There's like a bucket of ice and a little tea, and it melts it down. I mean, you don't give me enough ice. I want extra ice. I get ice all over the place. And if when I'm through with that, they come up and say, would you like another drink? I might say, Yes, but this time, bring me a Diet Coke. I have got a different drink entirely. I got another drink, but it's different. If she'd have said or he'd have said, do you like another drink? And I said, yeah. They'd have just bought me another unsweet iced tea with extra ice. What this gospel is, is completely different. It's not another of the same thing. It's not the unsweet tea. Man, it's not even Diet Coke. It's like Tab. You ever had Tab? <laughs> Some of you may know what that Tab is. Tab is what we had in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. That, <laughs> Remember, tab spells backwards is bat. And that was the secret ingredient to tab. I just made that up. That's pretty good. I'm going to write that down somewhere. Mark that on the tape so we can use that again later. He said, and these are just, dis- tab is bat. I want to make sure I got that right because I've been wrong. These are disturbing you. And they want to distort the gospel. They're, they're disturbing. They're disturbing means to confuse you. They would come in and they would say, you heard about Jesus from Paul. That's good. Paul, Paul was partly correct. There's more. And they would add this on and it would disturb them. It would confuse them because they have distorted. They have twisted. They have perverted. They have taken the gospel and they have completely corrupted it. That's what it is, a corruption of the gospel. Paul would summarize it this way. He says you are having desertion from God and you are having devotion to another or a false gospel. It is desertion from God, devotion to another gospel. In Genesis chapter 3. Now I've shared many times about this. If you're fairly new, you may not have heard me share it yet. But I I share this on a regular basis. In Genesis 3, we sign the first sin. And what we find in Genesis 3 is the basic sin of all of life. It's not that they just simply disobeyed God. It's not that there was pride. The basic sin of all of life is right there in the temptation. You will be like God. That was the temptation. I want to be God. Who doesn't want to be in control of their own life? From the very beginning, we have always wanted to be God in our life. And this is what happens. And we sin against God. And Jesus said, John 14, 6, just hours before the cross, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. What he's saying is this I and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can by any means come to the Father unless they come completely and totally through me. And what we see today is this crisis going on. This happens in every generation of this taking and distorting the gospel. And and, and you see it both in, in the liberal side of Christianity, which I, I would say really isn't Christianity, but you also see it in the conservative evangelical side as well. You see all these different isms coming in. For instance, you see, what I would call deconstructionism, the idea of, being, of deconstructing is the idea, it's a literary term, that you take a literary piece in it's whole, and it has a whole picture it presents, but you deconstruct it, you, you analyze it, you critique it, you take out the parts to try to explain it in its different parts instead of the whole. When you come to Christianity, is to look at Christianity and take away from it the things you don't like. That's what Spawn does. He writes and, and, and teaches, and he wrote and taught that that Christianity, the, those those first century documents, those gospels, which at least he recognized were first century documents, were for them. That there was not God revealing Himself. There was no miraculous involved. That God did not speak to them. That's they how how they understood Jesus. And basically, you can understand Jesus however you want. That's what deconstructionism. That's what it means to to take the parts that you want from faith and. Reassemble it however you want. There's there is the idea of relativism, which you see in Oprah Winfrey. Relativism is the idea that all religions, all philosophies are the same; they're all equal. So when she says Jesus can't possibly be the only way to God, that's what she means. There are other paths to take. She has said that stuff like that repeatedly. There's a magazine article that came out a few years ago that that quotes her as saying basically that, that she grew up believing what many of us did, that Jesus died on the cross for us. But now she knows that all Jesus really has done is to show us how to do it, shows us what could become. Everything else is on the table. There's more ways. Syncretism is, is taking from different religions and mixing them together, which is what Phil Jackson does. He takes a little Buddhism, takes a little Christianity, and says, this is what I believe. We just mix and match, and that's what happens. Within conservative Christianity, we see it. There's, there's a movement among some for what we, they call open theism. That's just a fancy way of saying that God doesn't know the future. That since the future can't be known, how could God know the unknowable? So God doesn't know the future, and he doesn't have the power to sort of shape it. So when you pray to God and you ask him to do something about your life, God really doesn't have necessarily the idea of what's going to happen in the future. He really, at that moment, can't help you too much but just to kind of pat you on the head and say, I love you. And there are those within even sort of Christianity that want to take away the idea that Jesus died in our place on our behalf, the substitution, and say what Jesus really did is he suffered because of our sin, that our sin is put in there, and he suffered And what he did is showed how God suffered. He is our example to show the danger of sin. See, all these guys, all these women, all these views basically say this. Jesus can be anything you want him to be. And that's what happens. And it happens in churches all across our country. It happens in churches in our city. It's happening probably as we speak. People saying, teaching, believing Jesus can be anything you want him to be. Paul has a stern warning for that in verse 8. Here's what he says, but even if we, are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be of curse. Paul is saying, not only the Judaizers, let me just make this personal. This is how serious this is. If I come to you, or even an angel from heaven were to come. And angels didn't come and preach back. He's just, you know, saying that. You know, don't get caught up in that. Should preach to you, should evangelize you with a gospel that is contrary, different, the opposite of what I preach to you. He's to be accursed. That word accursed, anathema, means condemned from where I'm from. Let me just put it, and this is crude, but let me just tell you, this is what it means. It says you can go to hell. That's exactly what it means. If they do that, if I do that, whoever preaches that false gospel, they are worthy of hell. That's a strong statement. Where I come from, where I grew up, tell someone they could go to hell was fighting words. Paul's in a fight about the gospel. Verse 9. He emphasizes even more, as I have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. He's saying, not only did I just say it the last verse, but get this. I preached this to you before. We warned you when we came. Let me say it one more time. Let me remind you one more time. If anyone comes and tells you anything that is opposite, that is contrary, that adds to or takes away from that Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised back to life on the third day and that people saw him, they are damned for what they are teaching you. That's pretty strong stuff. But Jesus said the same thing, basically. In the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is Jesus' basic document, basic message about what it means to be his follower. He ends it by saying, narrow is the gate that leads to life, Broad is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many find it. I mean, there's a broad, wide path that leads to the destruction of your soul, and many travel that. A few verses later, in verse 19, he says, any tree that bears bad fruit will be cut down. It'll be cast into the fire. And then in some of the most haunting words that Jesus ever speaks, in Matthew seven twenty-one, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, one of the kingdom, not everyone who calls me, Lord, Will enter the kingdom. I thought calling Jesus Lord was necessary. I thought we call upon him as Lord. He said, but not everyone who does that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? He just told you throughout the Sermon on the Mount to follow him. He said, people will say, We preached in your name, we cast out demons, we healed. And he'll say, Get lost, I don't know you. I don't know you. And that's strong stuff. So here's what happens. Those of you that take notes, just be a long note-taking part. We'll leave it up while I break it down for you. Here's what it says. When you change the gospel for whatever reason, you cheat people of the opportunity to hear the message of salvation. You commit them to hell where they will spend eternity paying for sins. Jesus already died to forgive. You eternally damn them so you can feel good about yourself. And most likely, you have damned yourself as well. When you change the gospel, no matter what for, oh, but man, we just want to be compassionate. We want people to feel good about themselves. We need to be more tolerant. We need to be more inclusive. We need to be blah, 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 blah. This doesn't doesn't preach well 2,000 years later. For whatever reason, you're cheating them. You're robbing them of the message of salvation that is clearly taught. in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, every letter that's written onto the book of Revelation, you cheat them of that. And you are willing to commit their soul to hell so they can pay for sins. Jesus already paid for. And you're damning yourself as well. I remember the first time I said it, thought it just hit me hard. And when I get to heaven, There will be people that I will expect to be there who won't be there. And there will be people I thought never made it who were there. Because ultimately, it's all about Jesus. Christianity was and always is at a crossroads. So why don't we just do what they say? Let's just design our own Jesus. Why don't we do that? In 2006, there was a really popular movie. Talladega Nice, the Legend of Ricky Bobby. You like that movie? I love that movie. It's a funny movie. It's a parody. It's a spoof. You shouldn't get caught up in it. And Will Ferrell plays Ricky Bobby, the stock car driver. John C. Riley, his good buddy Cal Norton Jr. And you know, and, and there's this iconic scene. They're dressed in their racing, you know, uniform. And they're, they're having dinner or lunch, you know, and his beautiful wife there, as he calls her, his smoking hot wife, played by Leslie Bibb, and his kids and, and father-in-law. And all the food from all the companies they endorse, Domino's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Taco Bell, all those places on are good for you. And he starts to pray. And so he, he prays and asks a blessing, and he prays, dear baby Jesus. And he just starts describing all things about J.B. Jesus, baby Jesus this. And finally, Leslie Bibb's wife says, honey, honey, Jesus isn't a baby, and he grew up to be a man. He says, well, that's the version of Jesus that I want to pray to. You can pray to whatever version of Jesus you want. And then he and John C. Riley talk about how they like to picture Jesus. And I know some people think that might be blasphemous or, or sacrilegious, but it's really just meant to be a parody and it's right on because people today want to have a version of Jesus that they like. That's the problem. We want to design our own version of Jesus. Remember what I said in Genesis 3? The basic sin of all of life is to play God. And we play God and we rebel against God. So what does God do? God sends Jesus. And we don't like that version of Jesus. So we play God all over again. And here's the thing. When you play God, God doesn't play along. You need to understand this. This is lost on so many people. When you play God, God never plays along. And I know but people say, well, we just want to love people, We're not, and we've got to be more loving. And what we've done is we've taken love, and we've so corrupted it. It's nothing like biblical love. It's not even like the love I grew up with. I grew up, you know, when you fell in love, when, when I fell in love with my wife, you know, and, and, I, and, and the love that I have for her, I want what's best for her. My, my love is for her benefit. My love is because of my compassion and, and my attraction to her. My love is for her. My love isn't simply to say, well, you know, whatever you want's fine. That's our mindset. Can you think about being a parent and having that mindset? Listen, kid, I love you. So you just do whatever you want. I accept you as my son or daughter. Whatever you want to do, however you want to live your life, you go ahead. Parents don't do that. Maybe they do it now. That's not good parenting, right? Some of you haven't heard this yet, but if you've ever had a teenage kid, you have heard this. I hate you. You don't love me, and I don't love you. And at that moment, what you want to do more than anything is knock the living snot out of you, kid. As my mama used to say, I want to knock you into next year. I wish last year she'd have been around to do that. That would <laughs> have been helpful. Man, you love your kid. You don't upset. Oh, you know what? You're right. If I really loved you, I'd let you be a complete idiot and ruin your life and go to jail or die or whatever happens. No. Jesus, John 13, said, no greater love than a person. I mean, no, I'm sorry. In John 13, said, this is how you will know my commandment. This is how I know you're my disciple. You'll love one another. This is the commandment I give to you. Love, love, love one another. And then he went out and demonstrated what that love is. He died on the cross. Love is always connected to Jesus. Love is always connected to Jesus. Love is always connected to Jesus. If you love people, you will realize they need the authentic Jesus. That's who they need. The authentic Jesus. We have sinned against God. It's not even disputable. It's the fundamental teaching of Scripture after God created is that we've sinned. All of the Bible is about Old and New Testament. We've sinned and sinned and sinned. Humans are like that mythological figure Sisyphus. In Greek mythology, Sisyphus offends Zeus. And so Zeus says... Your punishment is to roll this rock on top of that hill, and when you've got to the top, you're done. only problem is, you can't get the rock to the top. It keeps rolling back down. It keeps rolling back down, rolling back down. For eternity, he's going to roll a rock up a hill. only to watch that rock roll all of it back down. In so many ways, that, that illustrates our predicament in life. When you try to play God, you can't ever be God. You will always fail. You will always fail. Fail. We have this doggone sin problem. So God knew it, did something about it. He sent Jesus. And we're we're okay at that point. But we will say, God, whoa, whoa, wait, stop there. You sent Jesus, you stop there. And I'll take it from here. And I'll make Jesus relevant. I'll design my own Jesus. And when you design your own Jesus, once again, you reject and rebel against God. And all you have designed. All you have designed is your own ruin. That's all you have is a life that is ruined because you have rejected the authentic Jesus. And that happens to people who sit in churches all throughout our city, in our country, in the world. It's been happening for 2,000 years years let's design our own Jesus let's leave behind the authentic Jesus for one of our own imagination understand this the authentic Jesus is the Jesus of the gospel only that Jesus only that Jesus will save you from sin and hell the Jesus of your imagination that you design, that Jesus doesn't exist. You just made him up. So it's 2021. Does it really matter what we believe about Jesus? And the answer is yes. Because 2021 is no different than 48. It's to say we need the authentic Jesus. That Jesus that went to the cross in our place on our behalf took my sins upon him died and was buried and God raised him back to life on that third day people saw him people follow him and ever since people have been proclaiming that Jesus because only that Jesus will save you so why don't you quit Designing your own version of Jesus. Why don't you come to the authentic Jesus? Let him save you right now. Give your life to him as we speak. Trust him as we speak to be your savior. In just a moment, when we stand right here for a time that we call an invitation, if you'd like to come and say, I want to give my life to Christ, or I have just given my life to Jesus, and I want to tell you or tell someone what I need to do, you come and we'll, we'll be here, and we'll pray with you and we'll talk to you. If you know someone who needs Christ and you want us to pray with them, and that happened in the early service, to pray for the people they love who need Jesus, we will pray with you. If you want to join our church, you can do that. Here's what I invite you to do. Walk out of this place today, not believing in the Jesus of your own imagination, but trusting the Jesus who is authentic. Lord, we praise you and honor you for the Jesus of the gospel who died for us so we could have eternal life. We thank you. But God, we must take our life and give it to that Jesus, not some version of Jesus we create, that Jesus, the only Jesus, the authentic Jesus. So I ask in the name of that Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would work in our life and you would convict us that we need Jesus and those who have never trusted him would trust him today at this moment to be their savior. And those that we love and those that we know need Christ, we will continue to pray for them. Let us turn away from the Jesus of our imagination to the one and only authentic Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front. You come.